You know, uh, we've been tracking through this book of Acts, and, and it's the, it's, we've w- watched the spread of the gospel and the increase, really, the expansion of the church as we've marched through. And last week, we looked at the Apostle Paul. Remember Saul, that little wiry rabbi that, uh, that got saved, and it was his conversion story. And we said that salvation happens when God overcomes our resistance to the gospel. Right? In other words, when God pleases, he overcomes our resistance and saves us. And that's the only reason any of us are saved. That was Saul's case, for sure. When he became the Apostle Paul, he was resistant. Right? He was persecuting the church, and yet he was saved by grace. And, uh, but what happens when we look at t- today's text, for instance, when, when a person isn't resisting the gospel, right? They're not resistant, but rather they're, they're, they just haven't heard the gospel. And so a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the Ethiopian eunuch. And if you remember, God sent Philip on this desert road to go and, and to speak to this eunuch, to, to intervene a, and into the life of this eunuch. And, and he wasn't resistant. He wasn't uh, um, avoiding God. He was seeking after God. He had just never heard the gospel, and God sent Philip to him, and he heard. And so today's passage, we, it shows us Cornelius. And he's a man who's obviously seeking to know God deeper and better, and he, he just never heard the gospel. And so in verse 2, it says, He was a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Now, of course, Cornelius is displaying some really fine Christian attributes here, but he's not a believer. He's not a believer. He, he needs someone to bring him the truth of Jesus Christ. He needs to hear about this crucified Savior for sinners. And so God sent Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. God is sending Peter to Cornelius a centurion named Cornelius. And so, you know, this week as I was pondering this uh, text of Scripture, I was reminded of that opening scene in Saving Private Ryan. Um, it's very graphic, and it's these American troops that are, uh, that are arriving on a beachhead, a very heavily uh, fortified beachhead. And so... Even before arriving, they bombard it, bombard it, bombard it with all sorts of bombs to try to break up the enemy stronghold, right? But it didn't really help in this case, and they continued to unleash hell upon the arriving troops. And so we hope, right, often we rely on this softening in, in, in terms of warfare by bombardment, right? It's easier to penetrate enemy territory, and spiritually speaking... Right? Track with me now. Spiritually speaking, we do the same. Right? We expect that our prayers will soften people uh, that we're attempting to share the gospel with, right? And to reach with the gospel so that when we do actually preach to them, the, the gospel comes in and they receive it, right? So it's our prayers that are sent first, right? To, to bombard and, and to, to break up the foul ground and to, to soften the hearts of people. And so we see today, um, it's so interesting because today's story, Peter's set up with what I'm calling a preacher's dream scene, right? Because it is a preacher's dream, you know, to be set up like this. Peter is told in a dream to reach out to this Gentile named Cornelius. 
He's a God-fearing man, well-spoken of by the Jews. Go ahead and reach out to him. I mean, what a setup, right? Every preacher wants this setup, right? It's a guaranteed win, right? I mean, he's like, it's a guarantee. And so we see Jesus had already prepared Cornelius, and Jesus had prepared Peter, and the result was that they heard the gospel, the Spirit fell upon them, they were baptized, and God's glorified. That's, that's what we're looking at today, okay? So let's look at the first uh, point here. Why they were ready to hear, okay? Let me just unfold that. You know, Jesus had, he had prepared each of them for this encounter. Let's start with Cornelius. Now, we didn't read the whole story because it began back in the beginning of chapter 10. We started at verse 30. So we, we missed some of it. But we're told that one day, Cornelius, he's, he's, we know that he's a, he's a centurion. He's uh, a centurion of, the, of what is known as the Italian cohort. Um, he was a devout man. He feared God with all his household. I mean, there were things about him were tremendous, right? He prayed continually, gave alms. Um, and it says that on the ninth hour... At some point, he, he was out there at the ninth hour, which I think is at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. He's praying, uh, and he sees a vision, and it's a vision of an angel, and this angel comes to him, and he, of course, he's frightened because everybody that encounters an angel is pretty frightened. And so this angel's in bright clothing, and, and he says, God's heard your prayers, and uh, you need to call on this guy, Simon Peter, who's staying at this other Simon guy's, He's a tanner down by the seashore. So, I mean, there's r- real specifics, right, in this. Um, and so, yeah, okay, I'll send for him. Uh, and, um, and so he does. He, he sends his men there. Meanwhile, the next day, right before the men arrive to get Peter, to bring him back to Cornelius, Peter is praying on a rooftop, which is what they did often. And uh, he's praying and he gets he also has a vision he hears a voice and he and it's and it's he sees this four this this sheet come down four corners the sheet drops down from heaven and on it are these animals all sorts of different kinds of animals reptiles and birds of the air and he hears a voice peter what is it rise peter kill and eat and he and he says and, and so he knows it's the Lord. And this was curious to me because he says, by no means, Lord. Um, so he knew it really wasn't a command because if, if Peter thought it was the Lord commanding him, he would say, yes, Lord. But instead, it was like he thought maybe it was a test. So, he, of course, he's in a dream. So you do queer, weird, weird things in your dream. So, so he's in this dream. And he said, no, you know, may it never be. I've never eaten things like that, right? Things that are common. And so this happens three times, right? And he's, and he's, he's a little confused, right? He's dazed and confused. And he's kind of coming out of this thing. And um, he heard the dinner bell ring or something. And, uh, and so he's coming out of it. And right then, the guys show up at, his, at the house from the centurion, right? And, and so uh, they said, we're here for you, Peter. And uh, the Lord says, right immediately, go with them, don't hesitate, they're, they're, they're here because I've sent them, basically. And so they go, and uh, 
So here's, here's the funny thing about this. There's two things that they weren't ready to hear, I think. The first, Cornelius had no idea that he needed to hear the gospel, right? The angel came to tell him, right, and, and go, go get this guy, Peter, right, in order to hear. So Cornelius would not have known how to know God differently, right, without this angel's intervention. And secondly, Peter would have never gone to a Gentile's house. He just wouldn't. Now, things were breaking down already for Peter because he was kind of getting the idea um, that maybe uh, they, it shouldn't, they shouldn't uh, avoid, how shall I say, um, uh, some of the unclean laws because he was staying at Simon the Tanner's house. You know what a tanner is? A tanner works with leather. In order to work with leather, you had to, frankly, work with dead things. And anyone who touched a dead thing was unclean. And so there was some of that going on already. So Simon Peter had already kind of dropped that, that um, bar a bit by staying with Simon the Tanner. But here he knows, he knows he's got to go and go to a full-on Gentile's house. Okay, this is the real thing. And uh, they needed to hear the events of this passage in order to make that happen. It would, have never, it would have never happened. And so Peter, he puts two and two together in verse 28. He says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So he's getting the picture here, right? Um, in other words, God shows no favorites, right? You don't avoid what, what God has sent you to this, and you, you don't avoid people just because they're a certain people group, right? That's, we call that racism. We, we call that prejudice. We call, there's a lot of different bigotry. There's a lot of different names that we have, and they're thrown around a lot in our culture right now. And the Bible's so clear so clear if we would all just listen to it, right? It would be so much easier. Um, but Peter realizes uh, that this, and he said it again in verse 34. He said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. So here's the amazing truth spoken here. Peter's a Jew. Jews are conditioned to think over the centuries, over and over again, that God has favorites. They were God's favorite. The Jews were God's favorite. And yet here, he realizes that God shows no favoritism and no partiality. And so you have to kind of get that, your mind, you're going against centuries of teaching to, to, to get where Peter is going right now. I know we don't, we don't think like that in our culture um, that much, but we do, we do set, I'll get to these later, but we do set some things in place that kind of keep us separate from certain people groups. But he's talking about, what is he talking about with this God doesn't show favoritism, partiality? He's talking about conversion, that God saves all kinds. And so Jesus was talking about this with his disciples one day, and he, and he took a little child that was in front of him. It was in Matthew 18. And he said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And that word turn is the word for conversion. It means to completely turn around, uh, to go in a whole new direction 
Conversion is radical transformation. It's a transformation. But on the other hand, it's, you're, you're not refacing. You're completely changing. And so everything is done with a different goal and a different reason when you are converted. Your whole view, your worldview has changed. Your entire life has changed. So look at the conversion of Cor- Cornelius. Why does, why does conversion have no favorites? Why is conversion not something you sign up for, but rather something that comes upon you? I mean, I say this because conversion is God's initiative. It's, it's something that God has to do, right? In verse 29, it says, at the end of the verse, Peter says, I ask then why you sent for me, right? So he, this is right before we read verse 30. So Peter realizes there's no favoritism, and then he says, so when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And then Cornelius starts. He tells his side of the story. He tells about his dream, right? And he goes on, he says, four, uh, four days ago, right? About this hour, I was praying in the ninth hour, and man, behold, bright clothing stood before me. He said, he's heard my prayer, and they've gone up to heaven, and, and go get this Simon. He's lodging at the other Simon's house, blah, blah, blah. So he goes through the whole thing. And so what is the answer? Why did Cornelius call for Peter? The reason I sent for you, in essence, he's saying, is because the Lord has sent for me. Think about it. The Lord was calling Cornelius. But Cornelius didn't have all the facts, didn't have the information, didn't have the the way. He didn't know the way. And so he says to Peter, Peter, come because... I need to know the way. The Lord's calling me. And so that's his answer, essentially, to Peter. When Peter says, why, why have you called me here? You've called me. I've called you here because I need you to tell me the way because the Lord's calling me. And I just think that's amazing that, it, that it, you know, he was doing everything he possibly could to be a good Jew, right? He was a God-fearer. He, even though he was a, a centurion, he was a Gentile, um, he feared God, so he was a God-fearer. So he was a, a, a Gentile practicing Jewish customs, okay? He gave alms. He prayed continually. He was a model, okay? The best of the best model here. And, and yet, he didn't, know, he didn't know how to get to God. He didn't know any better. And God had to come and intervene with Peter. And so he sends for Peter, and the only reason is... Because God has already sent for him. God's already come for Cornelius. And so we, we saw this last week with the Apostle Paul's conversion. It was similar because he wasn't seeking after God, right? And, and, and in Paul's, he, he was basically waylaid at the, on, the, on the road to Damascus. Knocked off his horse, you know, conversion happened, you know. He, he just, it came upon him. There was no way around it. He couldn't avoid the Lord and didn't want to once he saw and met the, the living Christ. And so every person who's ever experienced genuine conversion always looks back and say, you know, at first I thought I was the one that was seeking, but when I look back, 
I was only seeking because he was after me. And you always, you always can see how the Lord was after you, right? From the time, <laughs> I think back, at little, even in second grade, God was after me. He didn't get me really because he didn't want to until I was 17. But um, I trust that he, you know, I wish he had got me at second grade. Come on. But, you know, it was 17 years old, you know, and, and that's the way he does it. Um, we love him because he first loved us. Um, you know, C.S. Lewis said this. He said in, in his spiritual bio, autobiography, he said, um, good-natured agnostics will talk cheerfully about man's search for God. He says, to me, they might as well be talking about the mouse, mouse's search for a cat. He, he, he said, uh, you know, what is he saying? He's saying the mouse doesn't search for a cat, frankly. You know, the, the cats search for mouses. And, and there's an old hymn. It's called, uh, The Lord, Tis Not That I Did Choose Thee. And I'll read you just a couple of verses. I think I put them up. Lord, tis not that I did choose thee, that I know could never be, for this heart would still refuse thee, had thy grace not chosen me. You remember this, Jr. You you know this song, and I don't know that I don't remember the tune. Um, now my heart owns none above thee, for thy grace alone I thirst, knowing well that if I love thee, thou, O Lord, did love me first. Now, somebody out there I know knows the tune, and I'll, I'll mess it up if I try it, but um, anybody who's experienced genuine conversion says that. We just say it. And so what is the implication of, of thinking this way? So if you're searching for God, you can be sure, sure, certain that he is searching. He's after you. He is after you. And therefore, you can search with confidence, um, and you know, I've had people say, you know, I just don't know how to find God. I just don't know, you know, what, what all this means. What happens if I can't, you know? And, and I would say to that person, uh, don't give yourself that much credit. Um, <laughs> you're not capable of wanting God or yearning for God unless he's after you. He's after you. He's at work in you. So rest assured that God always gets his man or his woman. He always does. And so the other way of looking at this is this, that a sense of his absence is evidence of his presence. <laughs> Some of you believers know that sense of his absence, right? And yet we know we press in, we continue to press in for him. Um, why? Because you're not capable of sensing his absence without him first giving you that sense that he's there. Right? So that's why they were ready to hear. They were ready to hear. And here's the second point, what they were ready to hear. Here's what they were ready to hear. Verse 30, it says that Cornelius said, Four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore. And so, send, therefore. What do you mean? And, and so he, he's going after something. Cornelius, you know, we've been up here. <laughs> this is one way to look at it. We've been up here in heaven looking over the human race and we've determined that like you're one of the best there are. 
you know. Um, you pray, you're powerful, you're wealthy, you, you haven't let it go to your head, you care for the poor, you help. you on that uh I can put you on that main mic if you want okay check there we've got batteries so he you know he says therefore you know what what is what is he after here uh, what am I saying um, did the angel just say you know you're 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 pretty awesome you're doing the right thing so just just keep doing what you're doing. Just just keep on doing great things. You know, just keep on praying and caring for the poor. Keep on doing good works because they will certainly get you to heaven, you know? That but that isn't what the angel said to him, right? I mean, that's not that's not what angels say to people typically. And then of course that would be everything against the gospel. Would it not? I mean, and so that's not uh that's not what was said. And he said, send to Joppa for Peter. Go get Peter, you know. And, and you see, because you need to hear the gospel and get converted. That's what you need, Cornelius. You know, and many people look at this and kind of miss it because Cornelius is one of the best human beings there are. If ever there's a, a model, right? Cornelius is the guy, and yet he wasn't said. He wasn't told. You're, you know, you're pretty much there, and you, all you need is just a little help to get over the top. You know, just keep doing what you're doing. And uh, no, he said you need to be converted. It's the same thing. Look at Paul, Saul, right? The rabbi. He was a righteous guy. He followed a hard after God, according to Judaism, and yet. What did he need most? He needed to be born again. Nicodemus, our friend, right? From John chapter 3, he was the same way. What did Jesus say to him? Um, you're a pretty good guy. Just keep going on it. No, he said, you need to be born again. You must be born again. And so all of these people, great people, righteous people, but needed to be born again. See, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. You know, imagine, I don't know, have you ever been to a church that just says, you're okay. <laughs> you know, you, you got some, you're pretty good, you know. And uh, just keep going doing the things that you're doing and just, you know, God at the end is going to overlook the few billion things that you did wrong. <laughs> That is not the gospel, right? And so we find Jesus saying, you must be born again. You need to start. I mean, one of my old professors said, he put it this way. He said, a call to conversion is not a call to traditional values, but a challenge to traditional values. And see, you're not saved by your works. And we know this. And, um, but in, in, 
On the other hand, you are saved by works. Um, did you hear what I said? You're saved by works. Uh, you know, I, I remember R.C. Sproul saying that one time, and he had me hooked. And uh, he said, yeah, you're saved by works, um, but not your works. Yeah. It's the work of Jesus on the cross, right? And I, I didn't trick anybody here. I know that. Um, uh, so Cornelius was ready to hear. He was softened by the, whole, the Holy Spirit. The, the, I, I think that the, the angel going to him in the bright clothes really softened him a bunch. Um, I think it would most of us, you know, if we weren't saved and all of a sudden this, this being showed up in bright clothing and, and said, you know, send for this guy. He'll tell you what you need. Um, I think I, I love this scene. And, and so here it is. Um, Cornelius says, so I sent, verse 33, I sent for you at once and you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. I love the willingness of his heart. Here's a, here's a, this has got to be a manly man. This is no sissy guy. He's Cornelius, right? You know, so he, he, he's a, he's a soldier, right? He's a commander of at least a hundred, most say at least a centurion over a hundred, but it could be thousands, okay? And so here he is saying, we're all here. It, he's brought his whole family together, right? And everybody he could find. We're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So we are just open to what you have to say, Peter. We just want to hear what you can tell us. And I got I to gotta believe that Cornelius was desperate and I'll get to that in a bit. So Peter did not dis disappoint. What did Peter do? Peter, he said, first of all, there's no partiality, right? I mean, there's no partiality. God doesn't keep this stuff from anybody. And so God intends to, that the gospel would go to every nation. And so Peter gives him the gospel. And, and he opens with this very, uh, I think it's just a summary statement of the gospel. In verse 36, he says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Um, I think that's a summary of the introduction to the gospel. Because, first of all, if the reason it's good news is because Jesus brings us peace with God. Does he not? I mean, he gives us peace because apart from his work, on the cross, we have no peace with God. We are enemies of God. We're enemies. I mean, it says it all over the place. We don't have peace. We're at war with God. And if we, if we just get this one concept, we will cry out to him. Because if we understand that every ounce of our being prior to be, being regenerate, be, being made new by the Spirit, prior to that, our being is unwilling, right, to, to do, to, we're always at enmity with God. We're, we're at war with him, and we're, and frankly, we're under his wrath, and we resent his rule over us, and, the, the, and, and so when, when we say, I'm okay, you're okay, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. We know, we know there's a problem, we know there's 
There's, there's, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. And so God says the world is in, his, in rebellion against him. Humanity wants to fight against him, and they did. They fought against him. As soon as he showed up, right? As soon as he showed up in the person of Christ, what did they do? They said, we're going to kill you. <laughs> and they took it out on him. And, and so when, when God says, you're at war, and, and he says, guess what? I've sent my son as propitiation, as an atonement, as a payment for your sin. And that sin, your sin, was placed on him at the cross. And my wrath, God says, was put upon him. The wrath that you deserved was placed on him. The wrath that, that, is, a, that is for you because of your rebellion against him was placed on him at the cross. And he absorbed it like a sponge. And he took it upon himself. And therefore now we have peace with God. Because God has no more wrath for you if you're in Christ. I want that to sink in a little bit. Do you ever feel God's wrath is still out to get you when you're a believer? I want to set you free today. There is no wrath. Because you know why? If Jesus did what he said he did at the cross, he absorbed the wrath completely that God has for you. Why would there be any wrath left? There can't be. Christ's payment on the cross seals it for you. What you may feel is conviction, and that's a good thing. Your daddy in heaven shows conviction, uh, makes you convicted, and therefore... He disciplines you as his child, and that's a good thing. You want that, and you turn, and you love him as a result. Um, Peter not only spoke of this peace that Christ obtained for us, but he also spoke of the cross, right, that Christ was put on the tree. And in verse 39, they put him on to death on, by hanging him on the tree, right? And we're supposed to know that that... It, that is, that's the gospel, folks. That is the gospel in a nutshell. He also said um, that there was one other thing uh, I'm looking for. Oh, he mentions the resurrection, which, you know, it's kind of a smaller point, but uh, I'm being sarcastic. Uh, he says in verse 48, or 40, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. What he's basically saying is that Jesus showed up and it wasn't a mirage. Right? This is a real resurrection. It wasn't just mystical. It was a real bodily resurrection. And, and Peter's last point was that, that Jesus is judge. He's judge. And we forget that. He will judge the living and the dead. He will judge. And so Peter got to the end of his sermon, and I love this because at the end, he says these words, to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while he was saying these things, the, the penny dropped. 
the Holy Spirit dropped on them. I want you to just get that for a second. So this guy's praying. The Spirit says, go get Peter. Peter's actually praying. Spirit says, go with these Gentile guys. Peter goes to the gent with the Gentile goes, and the guy says, "We're here. We want to hear what you have to say." And Peter says, "Okay, that must mean I need to tell you the story about Jesus. I need to tell you the gospel." And he does, and he says these basic, just basic things that God will give you peace. Right? He'll he'll he you won't feel the enmity any longer when it comes to you. And this God that you know is there. And suddenly he feels that. And the Holy Spirit comes. I mean, it's just powerful. It's just powerful. Basically, the Holy Spirit is just saying, that's all you need to know. Right? That's it. I'm done. Drop the mic. Right? Um. So the question on the floor then is, do you know this? Do you know this, right? Do you know and have you received him for the forgiveness of your sin? With point three, real quick. How, how we're made ready to hear. You know, we saw last week how Paul was made ready to hear. It was, it was through the goading of Jesus. You know what a goad is, right? That's that stick that we prod animals with to, to guide them, keep them on the right path, right? And, and Peter mentioned, or Paul mentioned the fact that Jesus um, uh, spoke to him on the road to Damascus and said those words, uh, Saul, Saul, why are you kicking against the goad? Why are you kicking against the goad? Why, you know, and because Jesus was goading Paul. Saul at the time, right? He's saying, I'm putting you on the right path. And, and what, did, what did Jesus say? You're, you're kicking against the goat. You're not, you're not cooperating, in other words, with going where I need you to go and want you to go. And so that's how he makes us ready to hear, by the way. And he uses all sorts of goads in our lives to guide us into places where we can hear. In the case of Cornelius, he was a devout man, right? He was a devout man, and God used his disciplines. Get this, his, his God-fearing, right? He used his almsgiving. He used his praying continually to draw Cornelius, right? So you can be drawn by those things. Those things weren't in and of themselves enough. I just want to state that. Cornelius was not a believer, heaven-bound, because he was fearing God, giving alms, and praying continually. Um, do you ever wonder why and what his prayer would have been? I think it sounded something like this. I think um, he said, God, I know you're there, and I, know, I can't look at the world around me and... and and believe that you're not there, you're there, 
And you, I know you're a holy God. I know my conscience bears witness with that, that you're a holy God, that you have a holy law, and it shows standards that you have. And I know that I have fallen short of those standards. I can't keep up. I can't even live up to my own standards. And, and yet I have tried and I've learned much from the Jews, but I fail. I fall so far short. If there's a way to solve my problem of sin, I am terrified at what my future might hold. God, isn't, isn't there an answer? Isn't there a truth? Isn't there a way of salvation? Please give me this salvation. I think that Cornelius prayed like that. I think he yearned for God to intervene. And, and why did he pray like that? I think he prayed like that because... His greatest need was the gospel. His greatest need was to find peace with God. You know, you can do all sorts of righteous acts, but you don't have peace with God because you don't have the work of Christ providing that peace. And so, you know, many of you, some of you anyway, are lifting up prayers in, for situations. And, you know, I want you to trust, if you're a believer today, I want you to trust that it, it is softening the spiritual ground. You know, every one of us needs to pray for Cornelius that's out there. Because there are. There's plenty of them. You know, at one point, Jesus tells, a little bit later in Acts, he tells Peter, I have many in this city. In other words, there's many that I'm calling to myself in this city, and, and I'm calling you to get them. So be encouraged. They're here for you. You're going to reach them. You're going to talk about the gospel. You're going to tell them about me. And I, 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 want, I want God to give us a vision that to see through the eyes of prayer that there are some out there that just need the gospel and you are appointed by God to go to them and to speak the truth. You know, we put false and wrong values on people. We say, oh, that person will never get saved. I always go after the loudest mouth. I always, you know, you will know where, where I am in the gym because I hang out with the loudest guys in the gym. And, the, I, I, you know, people probably don't think I'm a pastor, and if they do think I'm a pastor, they think I'm not saved because I hang out with these guys, okay, and I'm around them. And they're the rowdiest, loudest, sometimes vulgar group. And, but I'm in there with them. I'm not vulgar with them, but I'm just there, innocent bystander, you know. And, but the point is, I love these guys, and I know God's after them. And I know at some point, he's going to get them. He's just going to get them. You know, but we put like these values, we put these standards. We say, oh, this person, that person isn't worth the effort. And, you know, I ran across that, you know, I was thinking of that Saving Pirate, uh, Private Ryan again, and, and one of the quotes in the, in the movie was this. He said, this, this Ryan better be worth it. He'd better go home and cure some disease or invent a longer-lasting light bulb or something. And the, the point of that quote was, you know, we think that way when it comes to our efforts towards the unsaved. They better be worth it. You know, and, and, and God says they are. Let me just tell you, they are worth it. They're worth the effort. They're worth the pain and suffering you go through and you got to listen to them 
banter and say stupid stuff and you know and and even maybe even get your reputation tarnished a bit because you're just in the wrong company but it's the right company jesus went through that right this guy hangs out with prostitutes and tax collectors I know some tax collectors, but I don't know any prostitutes right now. So I'm just saying. <laughs> Clearing the air on that one. Okay. Susan is with me on that. You know, may we be a, a church, a church full of Peters that here the Spirit speak and go, right? Take the risk, right? Take the risk for Christ. You have, oh, you have a Father that has got your back and has cleared the way and has opened it up. If we would only know that we have a, like this, you know, this, this, the greatest being in the universe in our corner rooting for us and, and clearing the way. May we be, uh, may we be uh, able to listen to that. You know, one last thing. You know, um, we've been praying a lot. Um, uh, we have a team of uh, a vision team leadership that meets, and we've been seeking. And I thought of this. I thought, you know, we're seeking something similar. We, we, I want to see as a team, I want us to see, and as a church, the, the four corners let down. Of this, of this cloth, and and all sorts of animals, reptiles, on it. I want us to. I want us to. I want the Lord to say, "Rise." Well, not kill and eat, but you know what I'm saying. Just like, like go after them. Go after them. They they're not common and unclean. They're mine, and I'm putting them out there for you. And so drop the cloth, Lord. Bring it down so that we can see it and go for it. And may we reach the people that God would have us reach. You know, and la one last thing. I think that I think that some of you are lacking peace, and it may be, you may be similar like like Cornelius, you know, where you maybe you just need the peace of Christ to come in. And we're going to come to the table and celebrate the Lord's Supper. And, and, and it's going to, you know, it, this is the means of grace that God gives to us as his church. And and he displays that by, by giving us his broken body. It was broken for us and, and his shed blood. And he, and he he gave that so that we could be nourished spiritually. That forever and ever and ever, we would be able to look at that. Of course, when we come to heaven, we get the real thing. But until we get there, we, we have this reminder, he tells us, of the bread and the blood. Uh, and we celebrate and take those in. And as we do, we're taking in taking in his promise we're taking in more of his spirit we're receiving of him being nurtured 
We're feeding on him is what he tells us to do. And so may we do that.